Hello and thank you for checking out the Schizoid Embolism audio version. I hope you enjoy the comedy. Uh, I would implore you as well if you can check out the YouTube version of the Schizoid Embolism. That's how it was first created because you will miss out on some of the visual aspects that I've put in there. However, I do think you will still enjoy it. Thanks again for supporting. You can follow me on Instagram at D-I-L-L-A-N-R-A-N-K-1-N and also subscribe on YouTube. I don't bombard you with shit. Only provide you with the fermented nourishment, the succulence, enough for you to maintain your current weight and give you a few extra electrolytes. Cool. Thanks very much for not wasting your time. Here's a schizoid embolism. Cheers. Welcome to the Schizoid Embolism. When emigrating, you think of the change in culture, the change in weather, the change in native wildlife. But ultimately, the biggest change I've found when moving from the UK to Australia is how many times I've been bitten by fucking mosquitoes. I moved to Oz on Christmas Eve, which is funny because the mosquitoes lit me up like a fucking Christmas tree. Not my Australian partner though. She's fine. She's hardly been bitten once. I seem to be the exception, as if the mosquitoes are having a competition to see who can drain the most out of the walking bagpipe. This is the downside of having been born and brought up in Scotland. Deep within my bones, past the marrow, at the very core, lies a solid layer of traditional Scottish diet. Condensed black pudding, square sausage, iron brew, scotch pies, and that's what the mosquitoes are after. These flying rats have never seen a Greg's Bakery. They're gagging for a taste of scotch pie. Now, and I'm sure you don't know this, that famous scene in Jurassic Park when the mosquito gets trapped under that layer of tree sap and stores the dinosaur DNA. The film crew didn't actually use tree sap in that scene. They didn't even film it at Universal Studios in uh, at the soundstage in Hollywood. They just wrung out a scotch pie in a side street behind Greg's the Bakery in Edinburgh. And that mosquito must have been in heaven. As if an ocean of 12-year-old single malt Glenmorangie whiskey was bounding towards him. As soon as that mosquito saw that river of pie juice just flooding down towards him, I bet he just laid back on his tiny wee inflatable lilo, sparked up a blunt and shot a load over his stomach as he exited existence like a smooth motherfucker. If only we could all be so fortunate. I foresee myself going wormside in a mundane fashion, a sudden death all because I misjudged a curb or something. So I've actively got to try and avoid that end. I've actually got a book of famous last words that people have said just before they've died. Some witty, some ironic. And it got me thinking that I should memorise some last words so they're primed and ready for when I pop my clogs. It's more difficult than it seems though. How, in a couple of sentences, do you come across as a 19th century libertarian who's just jousted his way through five vagabonds upon the castle gates, four young maidens in the bedchamber, guzzled a quart and a half of scrumpy cider 
and manhandled a pipe like Gandalf the Grey before delivering my last words as I execute a flawless ballet leap, a leap of pure beauty that would have both Mila Kunis and uh, Natalie Portman weeping into their big, crispy, Swan Lake princess pillows. A stupendous leap from the tallest tower to my death in the glimmering blue abyss below. All because of my unrequited love for a common pastry chef called Brigitte. How do you condense that into a quip? It's difficult cramming all that into a line or two, as you can imagine. Maybe just bawling like a gent on a minuscule lilo like Mr Mosquito is the way to go. Or should I say Mrs Mosquito, since it's only the female mosquito that sucks your blood. So be sure to shout bitch, not bastard, the next time you kill one. I also found out recently that mosquitoes have existed for over 100 million years and are responsible for over 46 billion deaths. That's almost half the amount of humans that have ever existed, which is about 107 billion. I just don't feel enough hatred is directed at mosquitoes. Alexander the Great, for example, is believed to have died of malaria, contracted from a mosquito around 300 BC. Think of that. You're Alexander the Great, undefeated in battle. You create one of the largest empires of the ancient world back when fighting involved riding up to someone and stabbing them in the neck repeatedly. And Alexander would get stuck into it just like all of his men. Then a bug that can be measured by the millimetre flies onto your arm, says fuck you, and it's all over. What a underhand we trollop. For a human, a giant colossus in comparison. To be defeated by such a seemingly insignificant thing is like a squirrel dive-bombing off of a pier and slowly shanking a blue whale to death over a series of days with a disregarded ring pull. But the opposite is also uh, true of humans. The human body can take seriously traumatic events and still survive against all the odds. Take Joan Murray, for example. She goes skydiving at 14,500 feet. Her main parachute doesn't open. Her backup parachute only opens at 200 metres and immediately deflates. She hits the ground at 130 kilometres an hour. The right side of her body shattered. She hit the ground so hard it knocked all the fillings out of her teeth. Think about that for a moment. Remember the last time you you bumped your head or, or, or stubbed your toe or smashed your knee off something? It was painful, wasn't it? Now imagine hitting something so hard it knocked the fillings out of your teeth. And if you're sitting there and I've never had fillings, good for you. Good brushing. So, Joan Murray spends two weeks in a coma and after 20 reconstructive surgeries and 17 blood transfusions, she survived. Put yourself in Joan's shoes for a moment. You wake up, try and move your arm or your leg and realise in fact that they're both shattered. Brilliant. Now, that's not the worst thing. Do you know why Joan survived that 14,500 foot fall? She landed on a mound of fire ants. So let's ponder that for a moment. You hit the deck, you're still alive, cool. Then you realise one side of your body's shattered, okay. But at least you're not dead. Then there's a surprise. 
A swarm of fire ants are covering your lifeless body and only biting you to get a firm grip before stinging you from their abdomen, injecting a toxic venom, giving you the sensation of being burned by fire. Hence the name fire ant. Now, when I think of being bitten or stung by an ant, I automatically think of being bitten once or twice on the ankle or my forearm, that sort of area. But Joan was stung over 200 times as she laid there helpless. Seven of those fire ant stings could have been on her left fucking eyeball. Imagine that sensation. And say one of the fire ants, let's call him Jim. Say Jim has found himself on our genitalia and is stinging and stinging and stinging. Because Jim is an asshole. He's always been an asshole and he always will be an asshole. Everyone at the ant colony knows that Jim's an asshole and now Joan knows too. Jim. Fuck Jim. However, and I'm sure Joan would have benefited from this, a home remedy to combat the excruciating pain of being injected with fire ant venom is the immediate application of urine. And you can bet your bottom dollar that if you hit the ground at over 130 kilometers an hour, you're either going to voluntarily or involuntarily piss yourself. So that's a firm thumbs up. What could be worse than falling thousands of feet knowing you're going to die as soon as you've hit the hard ground? Then awakening to what I can only imagine to be One of the most horrific feelings imaginable. Being kept alive only through the sheer enormity of ants currently biting and injecting your entire body. And for how long? How long before a passerby stumbles over your mangled and now puffed up frame? You probably don't even look human at this point. You probably look like a sunburnt walrus that's been rolled down a hill covered in stinging nettles. A red that Joan's 115 pound body swelled up so much it looked like she weighed 300 pounds. I haven't been able to find a photo of Joan, but you have to wonder whether or not your skin can tighten back up after swelling up that amount. You'd think that everyday life would now be a struggle for Joan. Not only are you recovering from broken bones and punctured organs, but every time you drive to the shops for groceries, you're trapping a hamper full of loose skin in the car door as you slam it shut behind you. And fucking rollerblading's off the menu as well with that amount of loose skin curling over the top of your rollerblade boot like Andre the Giant's foreskin. But such is life. We're lucky to live in a day and age where we can throw ourselves from aeroplanes with relative safety, naked if we wish. When surgeons can open you up like a tin of beans and replace your heart and lungs and then sew you back up the same day. When independent billionaires are pushing the envelope when it comes to technology or renewable energy, sustainable farming and our governments, the old guard, slowly, sloth-like, decrepitly move forward like an outdated smartphone trying to process more than one application at a time. Which can make it quite a frustrating and restricting time to live in. Our governmental processes seem slow moving and outdated. We're used to updates and improvements at such a fast rate on our phones and laptops and online businesses. They get constant updates, constant facelifts. So it's frustrating when the most important aspects in life are 
controlled by the laws in your country are prehistoric in comparison. It's almost impossible to trial an idea or a policy. It's political suicide to do so. Because if it goes wrong, that's you buggered. Now everyone that was sitting in the shadows waiting for you to fuck up have got enough ammunition to bury you in the shells even if they don't get a direct hit. To ridicule you out of the inner circle. A faux pas to be seen with. A a sham to be associated with. What would we do, Agnes? What would we fucking do? And that type of behaviour has now taken over the media. Knee-jerk reactions to anyone in the public eye saying something controversial is met with calls for them to be instantly fired from their job. It's simply not satisfying enough to know that they're a dick. They've revealed themselves to you. They're a dick. Now, remember that in two years' time, when the latest controversy is blown over in the media and the male or female dick is reintroduced to you as just a normal bloke or a fun-loving down-to-earth lady cracking wise at their charity and tax avoidance bash. Just you remember that they're a dick. They're stupid enough to reveal that to you. They'll try their damnedest not to reveal that to you again. So don't endorse them. Don't buy their products, don't follow them on Twitter. Every time that person is on TV, you say, they're a dick, and change the channel. Then support those in the same profession who are cool by their shit, like their status. So what if they don't look as chiseled or sexy or wealthy and famous as the celebrity that they're trying to shovel down your throat? Maybe they'd actually be pleasant to meet. When you see the cool dude or the cool chick on TV, just say, I love that motherfucker. Every time I see that motherfucker, it makes my goddamn day. If we all do that, then it can shape what's being produced for us as entertainment. Just give us that fascinating stuff, that challenging stuff that challenges our opinions. Produce some brain-dead nonsense from time to time. Who doesn't want to watch crap and shove their face with white chocolate and drink 10 wines naked from the waist down. But just get the balance right. Currently the scales are very much tipped in the favour of the gormless droolers at present. And the scales are also tipped in the favour of the dark side, with all the legal and illegal mass surveillance going on by our governments nowadays. I often think of the employees working at these governmental agencies and their day-to-day mundane office work. After Edward Snowden, they must be worried about themselves being under constant surveillance. Can they even relax in the workplace? For instance, do you think that any of the employees at the Pentagon have ever masturbated at work since Edward Snowden? I'm sorry, but statistically, if there's hundreds of people people working in the same building, at least one of them is manipulating their organ to the point of climax in the workplace. But I'd imagine that that number has dwindled drastically in the last couple of years. I mean, imagine trying to take a shit in that place. You'd have to drop your trousers and hide yourself under a golf umbrella or a, or a picnic blanket or a, or a cloak or something in the Pentagon bathroom. It's the only place of work where you'd have to switch cars and wear an ice hockey mask just to bunk off work for the day. I mean, that would be a sight, wouldn't it? A few guys at the Pentagon call in sick to meet up for a barbecue and watch the big game together, but end up spending their day half in and half out a garden hedge. 
ducking down mid-conversation every time a blackened-out Humvee drives past the house. Just in case they get waterboarded by Josh first thing Monday morning. So there they are, petrified with a hot dog, in polo shirts, wearing whatever Halloween masks are available for purchase in early February. That'd be a sight, wouldn't it? Leprechauns in half of one direction, flipping burgers and buttering rolls and khaki shorts and adult diapers. That'd be what it would be like, I'd bet you. And what if loads of people start getting sick at the same time in the Pentagon workplace? Would you be thinking, the terrorists have poisoned the water supply? Or, the top brass, they think they were going to reveal all the top secret information, they've poisoned their supply, they're gassing us! Either option seems shit at 8am in a Monday morning, after yesterday's treble shot latte pub lunch diarrhea and red wine cornetto fest. There would be no walking in five minutes late without that being automatically captured, uploaded, backed up, encrypted and brought up at your bi-yearly pay increase assessment. Oh no, none of that. Not unless you want to be called in for a manager's meeting that afternoon and wake up at 4am in the archive room with your legs spread, doubled over a filing cabinet drawer with your first ever rehypnol headache. Sounds fun, doesn't it? 